If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also, you and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering me a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning, because I was with you. Right, well, if you've got that passage that's just been read, and you can have a look at it, um, it'd be quite helpful as we as we go along. Um, but we're going to be looking at the subject today of opposition. Now, some of you, I, I suspect, will have seen the film Sliding Doors. Has anyone, a few people here, seen? it's about 21 years old now. I was shocked to find out. Um, but it's, it's a classic film because um, you've got the, the sort of the centre of the film, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow playing this character, where something happens at the start of the film. And you see her go off in one direction as if this event hadn't happened and then in another direction as if this event had happened. And I thought, for those of you who haven't seen the film, actually the first minute and a half is quite good because it summarises where the rest of the film um, is going. So you see her get on the train, whereas the other character, who's her who misses the train, you see her standing on the outside. And the film goes off in two different directions then. As you see, what happens to the character who made the train and the one who failed to get on it? And the interesting thing is about how the consequence of, of decisions or things that happen in life send us off in different directions. Somebody the other day at work was saying to me, um, what did you study at university? And I said, well, I, I studied law at university. And they said, oh, I said, what did you do? He said, I studied history. I said, do you know something? I wish I'd studied history at university because I think it would have been more interesting than studying law. Um, but then it occurred to me, well, actually, if I had studied law at university, I would have finished university at least a year later than I did. And the whole pattern of my life would have been quite different. For one thing, I would have never met Anna, I suspect, um, which would obviously be a tragedy. Um, but I put up here all the different things, um, that, that were different places that I've been and the different paths that I, I mean, the, the universities that I went to, the, the firms that I've worked for and the churches that I've been part of since university. Uh, and the interesting thing, I was just starting to think about the consequence of all these decisions. And I, and I warn you, never do this because it will blow your mind as to actually the pathway that your life could have taken if you'd have taken different decisions. But one thing, I wouldn't have probably ended up at City Church in Birmingham when that was founded. And then at the age of 23, learned 
learned all about church planting. And I wouldn't have probably started my career at Eversheds in Birmingham where I met the guy who became my mentor who ended up moving to a firm over this way um, requiring us to move over to this strange town of Kenilworth in 2003 um, and then you follow all the other things and, and in, in one sense there's a very limited chance if I'd studied history at university I would be standing here now so that's just one thing how the effect that your decisions have in life and where you end up now this character here, um, Marco Skywalker, ha- has been over the last uh, three weeks um, taking us through John 14 and, and 15 and culminating in the wonderful passage last week where talked about Jesus being the true vine. And, uh, and it's a great message of hope. It's a great message of love that Jesus talks to his disciples. And it culminates in, in, this, in this wonderful verse. In verse 17, this is com- my command, love each other. And you think, wouldn't that be just the most apposite thing for Jesus to leave his disciples with at that point? But unfortunately, or fortunately I should say, Jesus doesn't leave it at that. Actually, he also needs to tell his disciples the cost of being a follower of him. So I'm afraid this character here, Jonathan Vader, um, is going to be looking at the darker side of uh, the passage um, in John 15 this week. My, my kids said that rather suited me. Anyway, there we are. Um, but why is this relevant? What, why, why is this important to us as we sit here today in, in the town of Kenilworth? Well, the reason that we set up this church was not because we felt this was a nice, cosy club where we could get people together and we could get some great Bible teaching and have a nice time together. Yeah, it's, it is part of that. But actually the main purpose of starting a church is to reach out to a group of people who don't know Jesus Christ. And one of the things that, that, that dawned on us was there's some really great faithful Christians in this town, but there aren't very many of them. And so the idea about starting this was to add to the witness that's happening in the town. But the reality is, if we start to step outside that door, if we start to start um, inviting people in to this church, the truth is we are going to face some opposition. And the reason we know that is because that is what Jesus himself taught would happen when you go out in his name. And he starts in verse 18, as you'll see at the passage tonight. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. So we're left with the question, well, who is the world and why do they hate followers of Christ? Well, the world, as far as is described in scripture, is anyone who's not a follower of Jesus Christ. So you know, that, that, that's, the, that's the world around us. But then there's, there's this question, well, why, why would they hate the followers of Jesus Christ? Why would they hate such a wonderful message of love that is brought by Jesus Christ to the world? Why would that be? Well, as we'll see in the passage tonight, there actually are three reasons as to why the world might hate us as Christian believers. Firstly, in verse, uh, in verse 19, the fact that we were chosen. Secondly, because of Jesus' name in verse 21. And then secondly, over in chapter 16, out of ignorance. And we're going to unpack all of those. So firstly, chosen. Verse 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you 
out of the world. That is why the world hates you. This word chosen. Now, identity is actually quite a, a topical thing at the moment in this country. Um, you'll recognise on the right the uh, Burgundy passport that we've all had since 1988, um, which has got the fact that, and obviously I exclude the Juliana family here, and probably Eric over there as well, uh, who probably wouldn't necessarily hold this passport, but most of us in this room would hold something like that. The United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland said that since 1927, um, after the Irish cessation. Um, and it's pretty much, his, but it's also got these words at the top, European Union as well. Now, you'll notice the passport on the left is a mock-up of what the passport's going to look like when eventually, if it ever happens, this country leaves the European Union. And that, the words European Union mysteriously disappear. You'll also notice it's a different colour, so you don't get confused. And actually, the whole issue of identity is something that has actually been vexing people in this country. You know, I think it's accepted that we're citizens of, of, of Britain, United Kingdom of Great Britain, all that. But are, some people feel very strongly that they should be citizens of the European Union, whereas others don't feel like they're citizens at all. And, 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 and this is almost the dilemma in a sense that we have, as Christians have because we, we recognize we are citizens of the world, but then are we citizens of the world? What, are, are we part of this world once we become believers? Well, the, the truth is that once we do become believers, our true citizenship is actually in heaven. We might live in this world, but actually our citizenship is in heaven. 1 Peter 1 verses 1 to 2 says this, To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Throughout the New Testament, we see that actually once you become a believer, you live in the world, but you're no longer a citizen of this world. In some senses, you're an exile of heaven living in the world. So we come to this issue though, okay, we're not, we're not citizens of the world anymore, we're citizens of heaven. But why is it that the world hates Christians? What, what, why is it that we see persecution that's pretty much happened since the moment of Jesus up to the present day? Why is that? Is it because Christians are judging the world around them? Is it because they're believing in different things? That they're challenging against things that are going on in the world today? What, what, why is that? Why is that? Or is there actually perhaps a deeper reason as to why Christians are opposed by the world? Oh, sorry, let's turn that off. Oh no, we're back. No, the reason as to why is the clue is actually in the passage. If you look at it very carefully, the words that I've underlined. If you belong to the world, it would love you as his own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Can you see there? The reason that we're hated is because of the fact that we are followers of none other than God himself or Jesus Christ. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours. I say they will treat you this way because of my name. See, the reason that the world has a problem with Christians is not because of the way that Christians behave. It's because the world 
is opposed to God. That, 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 that is a simple reality. And we come on to this issue of persecution. Now, when we say persecution, it's, it's quite a broad term, but it means any kind of opposition to Christianity that works itself out in an unpleasant way, moving from just teasing, from putting down to uh, bullying, to violence, even to death. And in terms of the, the prophecy, if you like, of Jesus here, whereas if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. It, it's something that has come true consistently again and again and again since these words were spoken. Pretty much since um, uh, the disciples were left alone, they faced persecution initially from the Jews and then from the Gentiles. And if you look at all the disciples, I think only one or two of them actually lived to old age. Pretty much all the rest of them were put to death. That was the reality of what they were going to face as soon as Jesus went away. And then Christians became a persecuted minority then for the next four centuries. Whether, whether it was the Jews initially, then the Romans, a whole variety of different people chose to pick on the Christians until effectively the church became part of the state in the fourth century. Uh, and then the persecution happened in a different way after that. And then we got to the medieval period, and we've looked at that a lot over the last couple of years, Martin Luther and all the things that happened there. And persecution has pretty much carried on since then. Those words of Jesus have come absolutely true. In fact, I was looking at the statistics from last year uh, that were produced by the uh, Open Doors uh, charity, who actually said there were more than 4,000 Christians killed in 2018. That's 2018, that's last year. And if you look at all those countries across there, actually showing the, the likelihood of persecution all across sub-Saharan Af- uh, Africa, actually, amazingly, going over to countries like China and, and India in particular, and you can see the numbers of people who were killed in those places. Uh, Rwanda, 100, India, 98. And, it, 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 oh, sorry, those churches destroyed or damaged. I mean, it's going on today. In fact, um, the Open Doors UK and Ireland CEO, Henrietta Blythe, said, Worldwide, our data reveals that 13.9% more Christians are experiencing high levels of persecution than last year. That's 30 million more people. It's affecting huge numbers of Christians in the developing world in particular. And in the Western world, it's going on. It's just happening in a more subtle way. Let's come back to what what Jesus said. Why are they doing it? They're treating people this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. In other words, they don't know that Jesus comes from God, and yet they're doing it because of Jesus' name. Now, when you go forward in in someone's name, often actually it can bring great uh, prestige and and honour. In a couple of weeks, it's the Cheltenham Horse Racing Festival, uh, and I confess I've been to it on one or two occasions. Often, as a guest, um, I, I happen to do some legal work for one of the racehorse owners. And uh, as a thank you, about three or four years ago, um, he said, I can get you some tickets for Cheltenham. I thought, that's very nice of you. And he said, and not just that, I can get you this special badge. Now, you probably can't see it because it's blended against the jacket, but it says, owners and trainers. Now, this badge gets you to the very top of Cheltenham. 
You can go in a stand that no one else is allowed to go in. You've got to be an owner or a trainer or their guest to go in this stand. I have to say, I went there with my brother. We felt very, very special indeed. Um, as we were shown to our special place in the car park, all the way to the top of the stand, wonderful. And, and, the, and the reason that we were allowed to do this was because we went in the name of one of the racehorse owners. I don't know, back to passports again. I don't know if you've ever looked in the inside of your passport. Again, South Africans can look away here because uh, you probably haven't got this. But... Um, her Britannic Majesty, Secretary of State, requests and requires in the name of Her Majesty all those whom, whom it may concern to allow the bearer to pass freely without let or hindrance. We've got the Queen's guarantee here that if we go in her name as British citizens, um, we're allowed to pass without let or hindrance into whatever country we may choose to go. Two great examples of prestige of going in someone's name. But, but if we go in Jesus' name, you think, should that bring honour and prestige? Well, actually, rather the reverse is true. Because if we truly go out in Jesus' name, we will actually encounter, we may encounter some people who welcome us with open arms. But the natural human state is that we will, we will be welcomed rather than with open arms, but often with persecution and hostility. And the reason? For they do not know the one who sent me. And Jesus goes on to say that actually um, they have no excuse. He said, if I'd not come and spoken to them, speaking about the world, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. You know, the, whoever hates me hates my father as well. See, there, there are some people who would say that... Um, it doesn't matter which, whichever faith you follow or whatever. It doesn't matter if you follow, um, Mus- uh, you're a Muslim or a Jew or whatever. It's all the same God at the end of the day. But actually, the error of that thinking is shown in these words. Because if you don't, if, if you don't follow Jesus, actually, you, if you hate Jesus, you automatically hate God. Jesus is inextricably linked here to God. As it is, and they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. See, by the rejection of Jesus means they reject none other than God. And this they hated me without reason. So we move on to the third and, and final sort of unpacking of this, and that's ignorance. Um, and we move into chapter 16. If you've got um, the Bible in front of you, do have a look at this, these, these verses. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. And these words were directly prophetic because that is exactly what would happen. As It was the Jews first who put the, 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 the Jews who were following Jesus Christ out of the synagogue, effectively um, excommunicating them. And actually think in doing so, putting them to death, they, they were offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father or me. Back to that again. The the inextricable link between Jesus and the Father. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you remember that I've warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. And the, the reality is, what Jesus is saying here is actually predicted in the Old Testament. We only go back to Isaiah chapter 6. And the natural state of human beings is ignorance of God. So be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes 
Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And we see this built on in Romans as well, where it talks again about the natural state of human beings. For all they knew, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And then finally, in the letter of 1 John, don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. It's pretty depressing, isn't it? And we look at it, that actually, by virtue of standing up for Jesus Christ in this world, the natural reaction of the world, actually, is to be ignorant of God and then to despise us for it. It's, it's not the most encouraging thing, is it? And actually, the reality is, is that I think particularly for younger Christians today, going into the school, going to schools and so on, that actually they're probably encountering more opposition than probably even we felt when, uh, and I'm talking about us o- older people, when, when, when we perhaps became Christians. I, I became a believer when I was 12. And I remember, and I knew, I knew I, I, was, I was a believer then. But I remember going back into school not long after it and looking around and thinking how few Christians there were who shared my faith in school. And having to sort of stand up for what I believed in school was really, really difficult because the, because kids are, are, are much less subtle than adults. And, and, w- and when you talk about what you believe in, they will put you down in a way that adults probably dare not out of politeness quite in the same way. And, and so I think it's particularly hard. And I, I think of my sons now going into schools and standing up for it when you know that actually this is going to happen. But this is the natural reaction. And it's not because of who you are. We must remember this. It's because of whom we follow. Their hatred is not of you. Their hatred is of God. And that is the natural human state. Now, we could just get very depressed here and say, well, uh, you know, what, it, this is just suffering. What, what, why, why should anyone enjoy suffering at all? But there's a wonderful little glimmer of light in all this. Now, that picture there, you probably can't see it very well, um, is me with my two friends I, there was me at the age of 18 um on on the edge of a little glacier in the in poland uh, now my my friends uh, there oliver on the left alexander on the middle i've just realized i've named two of my sons after two of my friends yeah um and then the the, the guy on the right is me age 18 looking disturbingly like edward um but um the guy in the middle there is the one i want you to sort of uh, fix on it is he's called um alex now, when I was at school, Alex was one of the best argued atheists I've ever come across in my life. He, he had a, he was a very clever guy. He had an answer for everything. And I had long debates with him about the fact that I was a believer and he wasn't. And he had all the arguments. And I remember um, in Oxford sitting with him on the steps somewhere in arguing late into the night and i just and thinking at the end of it this guy is as far away from becoming a believer as anyone i've ever come across in my life so imagine my amazement when three years later he rang me up and said jonathan i've just become a believer i've become a christian and i said alex i, I thought you were so far away i couldn't believe it he said well i'm not going to give you the credit for this necessarily um he said, I live with some Christians and I just saw that the way that they behaved and lived with each other. But then he said, the crucial thing is, it was the Holy Spirit who broke into my life. And we see this in our passage today. At the end of 
those, those verses, the end of chapter 15. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you must, you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. You see, in the midst of this hopelessness of this situation, what we know is a certainty that if we stick our necks out, that if we tell people about Jesus, we will get opposition. We don't go out alone. And in fact, we know that the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, notice again the link to the Father, who goes out with us, can open those blind eyes, can unbind those calloused hearts, that can break down that hardness. We know that it's the Holy Spirit that opens blind eyes, and that Holy Spirit will go with us. And so the most surprising things can happen, like my friend Alex, who seemed as far away from ever becoming a believer as anyone I've ever met, yet through the Holy Spirit, his eyes were opened. See, he comes out from the Father. It's, it's a, there's a wonderful glimpse here of the Trinity in, the, in, in, these, in these passages. The fact that Jesus is inextricably linked to the Father, and the Spirit is inextricably linked to the Father as well. It's, it, it's the Trinity working together. So we come back to where I started, this thing about decisions. Now, although the, the film Sliding Doors wasn't about decisions, it's about things that happened and, and the way things went off in a radically different way. We're actually left in this passage about really having to make some decisions about where we stand on all this. Because if we're a follower of Jesus today, we've got to ask this question. Are we willing to face persecution? Because actually the easiest way to avoid persecution is to privatise our faith. To never really say anything about it at all. To hope that nobody really notices that we're Christians. And the sure way to invite problems and invite opposition is to be more open about it with people. And the question is, are we willing to take that step? But if we don't follow Jesus today, and there probably will be people here who would not say that they're a Christian, are you actually willing to take the decision to follow him? Is there anything that you've heard today and thought... Perhaps there's something niggling away inside me that I realise that I'm not right. That I am opposed to God in my heart of hearts. It might be Christians I have a problem with, but actually the truth is I have a problem with God. And if there's something niggling away inside you, that is the Holy Spirit starting to sort of pull away at your heart and say, come to me. If you're in that situation today, then I beg you, I urge you, do come up and pray with me at the end today. Or come up and pray with Marco. Because it's the most wonderful, glorious thing in the world to know that you are right with God. And and that can happen today. So just finally, to reflect on the town that we have outside of us. Many, many people there who don't know Jesus Christ. It's if we go out there as a church and we put together some programs and some things to invite people in... Um, it, it, it could be what we hope it will be wonderful, but the truth is, if we're living authentically, people will oppose what we are doing. And the question is, are we willing to go out in the name of Jesus as his followers and be prepared to suffer for him in a tiny, tiny way, a tiny proportion of what he suffered for each one of us? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's a hard message. 
that you spoke to your followers back then. Preparing them for the fact that they were going to face persecution. The fact that many of them were actually were going to go to their deaths. And yet, what a glorious thing that those 12 men were the foundation of the church. And the billions of people today who follow you is because of what they were prepared to go out to do following these words. The fact that they were prepared to go out and sacrifice themselves for the truth of your gospel. We give you thanks for that, Lord. But we also pray that we ourselves, as believers today, would have the courage of facing the opposition that we will face in your name. And with that promise of the Holy Spirit, we we ask, Lord, that your spirit would equip us. Your spirit would follow us wherever we go and that we would um, be able to, with your spirit, open those blind eyes and those hearts would turn to you from the natural state, which is opposition to you. Amen.